Hey everyone, my name is Ken Lee. I'm an investment director at Binance Labs and your host for today. You're listening to Stories from the Lab, a Binance podcast featuring top crypto founders and investors from around the world, and where you can discover how Binance Labs is building the future of Web3. A quick disclaimer, all opinions expressed by myself and guests on this podcast are solely individual opinions. They are not endorsements or opinions made by our companies, and opinions should not be taken as any investment advice. And so today we have a very exciting guest on our show, Lauren Gable, who is the CEO of Figment. Figment is a proof-of-stake infrastructure company that provides staking services for institutional clients like VCs, exchanges, custodians, and other investors. And Figment also has a newer and growing developer tooling business, which supports Web3 engineers from learning through to deployment. So, Lorian, it's really great to have you, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Uh, looking forward to talking on this Friday. So, Lorian, just to get started, would love to just hear a short introduction about yourself or our audience and how you got started at Fandic Figment. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate that, um, Ken. So, let's see. Um, I'm, I'm uh, not the founder, I'm a co-founder, so there's uh, three of us at Figment, um, although there's now 150 of us in total. Um, and uh, the three founders, we've been working together for, um, well, longer than I care to admit, over a couple decades, um, essentially in the internet infrastructure stage. So we've had uh, four starts between us, um, in fact, a very early Web 1.0 um, ISP in Canada, pre-browser, there was a time. Um, Many of you probably won't remember, but when there was actually no browser and the, and the internet was fully uh, text-based. So we started one of the first commercial IP ISPs in Canada and then had a data center um, company also in Canada and then um, one of the first cloud security providers and a, and a cloud-based database startup. So this is just by way of saying that um, sort of the way we've operated is to try to find a piece of um, early internet infrastructure, play around with it from a hobbyist perspective. And then see if we can't build a business around it. Um, and if there's something about it that doesn't grab our imaginations um, and sort of challenge us intellectually. And uh, so in between startups in 2017, 2018, uh, we were fooling around um, with crypto. We we're pretty intellectually engaged for all the reasons anyone is, uh, you know, people find their way to the space in multiple ways. Um, and so I think, you know, between the founders, each one of us had a, um, a particular interest, you know, our CTO from a technical cryptography perspective, um, myself from sort of like a decentralization and um perspective which i can talk about more and sort of what that maybe we can have a counterbalance to our existing tech stack um which i think has some problems and so um right around that time proof of stake was being considered as an alternative consensus mechanism and when we kind of looked at it we didn't know whether it would actually work or be successful but when we sort of looked at it we're like hey here's an area we can get in at a, you know we thought we were actually a little bit late in 2018 2019 that we can get in at a at a um at least a fair start or maybe an advanced start of other people and well suited to our background. So that's kind of the genesis history was basically like, hey, um, what's our way into the space? Where can we get a fair start? And um, proof of stake was interesting and maybe something that was going to work out and subsequently has. And that's, uh, that's, how we've, that's how we started to where we are now. Was there a specific spark or a specific moment between the three of you guys where it was like an aha moment and you know, you guys realize, hey, this this might be something and, and we need to jump in. Yeah. So, you know, aside from, again, sort of that multiple levels of interest in um, Web3, although it wasn't really called Web3 back then, but um, the possibility for what, um, you know, what blockchains could do uh, for the public tech stack um, and be a decentralizing influence on what we saw as, you know, 
a lot of concentration around data monopolies and financial intermediaries. So that, you know, there's a high level of intellectual interest plus the technology is pretty cool and complicated. Um, but, but really, you know, we sort of saw some of the inefficiencies around um, proof of work. We considered doing, you know, becoming a Bitcoin miner, but frankly, you know, that wasn't really that intellectually interesting. You know, we, we affectionately refer to it as chicken coop hosting. It's gotten much more serious since then, um, but really just like sort of cheap power um, and uh, peer computing, you know, infrastructure really wasn't that interesting from an intellectual problem. And so we were pretty fascinated by proof of stake. You know, there's some white papers floating around the Ethereum community. And we thought, hey, maybe this is a, a better way to run blockchains. Um, you know, put away your uh, virtual pitchforks. This isn't a statement about Bitcoin or proof of work per se. Um, you know, Bitcoin should stay on proof of work, always will. So this is, uh, you know, I own Bitcoin myself. So this isn't a, a statement about um, Bitcoin per se or proof of work, but just that, hey, there's something more interesting um, or a better way or a more scalable way or a more energy efficient way of, of managing blockchains. And so that grabbed our that grabbed our attention. We're like, hey, it's pretty interesting. We have no idea if it'll scale. Maybe it'll fail out the door. And then in which case we'll have to figure something else out. But it was really just the fascination with, you know, playing around with the underlying operating system for blockchains. Um, and this was something new that we thought had possibility, basically. So awesome. And it's it's really interesting that you say. In 2018, you guys felt like you were a bit late to the party uh, for, yeah. for taking, and, and obviously, in retrospect, um, you guys were uh, definitely very early, and the sector has just evolved so much. What's been yeah. your biggest surprise, or what have you seen um, as some of the biggest changes for the overall staking as a service sector? Yeah, so when we launched, there were two there were two risks to the business, I suppose, um, and you know, to. Uh, to be frank, you know, um, the reason why, you know, 50 plus C stage VCs passed on the business, not that I'm counting, because that would be weird to, you know, have a sticky note with 52 VCs that passed on beside your computer. Don't invest in that founder. He's a little crazy. But um, the reason that 50 plus VCs passed was really, you know, kind of two concerns was like proof of stake was unproven as a technology, you know, it could easily fail. Um, and there was also some issues around, you know, a sort of, hey, if this does work out, it's just going to become a commoditized business. It's really not that interesting. You know, uh, margins will kind of, um, um, you know, go to zero. And furthermore, what happens if there's not, not a multi-blockchain world? Like, what if there's just Bitcoin and Ethereum, basically? Then, you know, um, you're not going to have a business on any one of those three axes. So, um, you know, those are the those 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 are the sort of concerns, and you know, we had those concerns too, and you have to sort of take a little bit of a leap of faith. But you know, in the subsequent three or four years, we've definitely seen so one, you know, most of the significant layer one, layer two protocols that have launched um, over the last three or four years have been proof of stake based. You know, whether it's uh, Solana, um, you know, Avalanche, Polkadot. Cosmos, et cetera. So those are some pretty big ecosystems that are growing that really have, you know, developer attraction and have grown a lot um, and, scale, and, start, and are starting to scale. And of course, with Ethereum, you know, making the final merge this year, that I think really cements the, the fact that proof of stake is going to be the dominant consensus mechanism going forward. So good for us, lucky for us. Um, you know, um, any startup needs a little bit of luck. And so, so that worked out. I'd like to think we had a small part in growing that, that ecosystem. And then, you know, if, you know, if you are a Bitcoin or Ethereum maximalist, you know, I think that most people would say that there's not going to be two blockchains. There's going to be, um, um, a bunch of them. I don't know if it's going to be 50, hundred or 10,000. I, I still don't know that, but clearly what you're seeing is that there are, um, use specific blockchains. Um, there's still a lot of experimentation. You're seeing gaps in smart contracts start to 
deploy multiple blockchains within a, within an application, which is pretty cool. We, we're starting to see some of that behavior. So I think, you know, along those two fronts, you basically have, you know, proof of stake being the, the dominant consensus mechanism that's happening, that has happened, that continues to happen. Um, and then we're clearly in a multi-chain world. You know, I don't know which one of those will be, you know, successful in, in the long term, but it's not going to be two, it's not going to be five, it's not going to be 10. Um, and so I think, you know, those two, those two um, factors have really sort of driven the business um, and confirmed our original thesis. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, on, on proof of stake development, obviously one of the big noteworthy events that everybody is preparing for this year is um, everything that's around ETH2. Uh, tell us more about how Figment is playing ahead. Um, what's in store for you guys around ETH2? So, yeah, so obviously, you know, it presents a significant, you know, trebling, quadrupling of our of our market opportunity, right? Um, so you're really seeing a transition behind the, the how that network and who the participants in that network are going to be. Um, and so we're really sort of gearing up, you know, both in North America, but also international, internationally to support that demand. You're also, we're already seeing, you know, even pre-merge when, you know, people's tokens and rewards are locked up until the merge happens. You're, you're seeing not insignificant amount of long-term holders starting to actually delegate and stake um, uh, pre-merge. So uh, that's kind of cool. And we sort of fully expect there to be a wave sometime this year um when that transition happens um and so really we've been trying to get ahead of that you know growing you know the infrastructure the support stack um reporting all the things that you would want if you're staking um for our institutional clients um over the past six months and really we think it's going to be like another delta inflection point for the business um you know we've grown i don't know 22x last year or something like that and we think that can happen again sort of simply based on ethereum alone much less all the other blockchains um it will be said sort of this is kind of a um, you know, I, th I think there's something going on, um, again, with the transition of Ethereum that people don't quite realize it's pretty significant. So, you know, this is for most of people listening on this, on this podcast, will sort of understand this, but, you know, there's a, you know, with proof of work, there's a, there's a distinction between the holder of the, the token, the value and the people running the network, the miners, and usually those interests are aligned, not always, but usually. Um, but I think what's significant about proof of stake is you're really seeing those two functions merge. So as a token holder in a proof of stake network, you now have the right, not the obligation to participate in consensus, to run the protocol, um, to participate in governance, um, and for doing that work, um, earn rewards or participate in the value created by the network. And I think that's a pretty significant, like, I think it's, people don't quite see it um, that way. So, you know, if you have 32 ETH, you can run your own node. Um, if you're a large holder or fiduciary, you probably want to outsource that to us, hopefully. Um, but again, it really, I think, is almost an ultimate realization of Satoshi's vision, right, of um, perm permissionless value um, transfer. And now what proof of stake is really bring those two functions, the mining or the running of the protocol, together with the person who is actually holding that value um, or that token that has value. And I think it's pretty cool. Um, I think it's the ultimate decentralization of value and transfer of value. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't sort of venture to say what what the long-term effects of that are, um, but I think it's pretty significant and it's underreported or underrealized. Um, and, you know, uh, I think it's I, I think it's like the, the, the next frontier on the evolution of blockchains. So I think it's pretty cool. I think it's awesome. And, um, um, you know, I don't think people kind of think it that way, but it's, you know, moving up to 10,000 feet. I think it's worth some consideration. So... Absolutely. 
Um, and, and one thing that you mentioned that's, that's really interesting is, you know, on, on one hot side, you have all the proof of stake networks that you guys service. And then on the other side are, are your customers. And for 2021, you know, obviously it was known for many different things, but one of those things was definitely institutional adoption of crypto, not just Bitcoin and Ethereum, but um, really a, a broad range of different cryptocurrencies. How have you seen um, as Figment institutional adoption of your service over the past few years? Yeah, so maybe that's got probably best reflected in the evolution of our customer base. So you sort of initially when we first launched, you know, we don't, you know, we really focus on serving an institutional client, you know, broadly defined. And that really was, you know, probably 50, you know, probably 80% of our first 50 customers were VCs. So obviously these were the VCs that made early investments in these protocols or large individual holders or foundations or founders. Um, and then, you know, over the, the last, you know, 18 to 24 months, you've seen our customer base migrate to exchanges and custodians uh, who want to incorporate, you know, staking tokens and staking rewards and returns um, for their customers. And, you know, we have a, we have a focus on that channel. Um, and then, you know, in the last, six to 12 months, you've really seen I maybe capitulation is too strong of a word, although I kind of like it, but slowly, most we're seeing just, you know, there's a trickle, um, a constant trickle, maybe a stream of adoption um, by institutions. And, you know, sometimes they keep pretty quiet about it. Frankly, I know like a whole bunch of, you know, family offices, they don't actually aren't public that they own, like at least Bitcoin or Ethereum, but really, um, I would say it's pretty consistent and, you know, I, I don't know what the official numbers are. I don't know if anyone's tracking it, but certainly just, you know, just being at events, being at traditional finance events um, and, you know, our customer base, how it's changed in the last to, uh, you know, asset managers, fund companies, um, family offices, you're really starting to see that shift. And I would say, you know, at least, you know, probably now half our customers are web three in quotes, so something crypto native and the other half are now what you might call traditional finance moving in the area. So I think it's, it continues, it's inevitable. Um, I, you know, I do use the word capitulation, but I think, you know, over the, over the next five years, um, any successful traditional financial institution is going to have to be involved in some way or they're going to be obsolete. Absolutely. And, and what, what you're saying is super fascinating because, you know, I, I imagine, as we all know, it's, it's already such a large step just to educate traditional institutions on just kind of the basics buying and selling of crypto. How do you guys as a team educate them on staking? What's that, what's that journey like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, great question. So it's fairly constant. In fact, you know, I sometimes think that half my job is basically education, um, starting from first principles um, with people. So one of the first problems is that staking is a, a poorly defined term, um, kind of like Web3. Um, it's used in a bunch of different ways. Um, and so people can see staking as a whole bunch of like, you know, this is our this is my simplistic framework. Um, and maybe two, the buckets may be too large, but essentially you have two forms of crypto return um, you know, I try to avoid the word yield for obvious reasons, but essentially a way of earning native tokens for participating in protocols in some way. And there's really, we sort of segment in two big buckets. The first one is a whole set of DeFi activities. So lending, um, liquidity provision, yield farming, um, a whole set of activities that have their own set of risk and rewards around counterparty risk or smart contract risk. And in theory, you should be compensated for those risks with um, a specific rate of return, right? Um, and then there's the, the other bucket, which is where we focus in what we'd be calling protocol staking. 
hasn't really caught on, but I think it's a more accurate description. And really protocol staking is exactly sort of what, as I described, you're participating in running the protocol or governing the protocol or both. Um, and for doing that, you share in the value generated by that protocol. And really, you know, I think in, in, in theory, over time, if you looked at like a risk reward curve, that you know slopes up to the right that in theory you know protocol staking is less risky it's fairly passive you don't need to like constantly be managing it um if you've outsourced the running of the infrastructure to someone like us um and um in theory less risky you don't have smart contract risk you don't have like counterparty risk or anything like that um i guess you could have protocol failure but you have that if you hold the token anyways so um we really kind of bucket staking into you know into those two big verticals and we focus on the one that's really around providing consensus security transaction processing on behalf of our clients who hold those tokens and so i think that that's not the worst framework and simplifies it a little bit but the term is like very poorly defined you know like on our website we have some like really abc 101 videos of like what is staking what is staking versus custody what are the misconceptions of custody like really sort of basic explainer videos and you start that way um i'm still a little bit surprised at certain audiences like there's you know even crypto native audiences are confused by the term still so we have a we have a ways to go so i think i'll be sort of speaking about this for another year another year and a half i think who's the um you know kind of as, as an aside who's the most random or interesting person that you think you've personally been able to educate on staking um, in terms of, hey, no idea in staking and actually by the end of the conversation, by the end of the journey, actually full understanding of what actually delivers and, and the benefits of it? Yeah. So without naming names, um, I don't know if this would embarrass them or otherwise, so I, I, I don't want to do that. We have, I have talked with um, crypto funds, I, someone who has a publicly with the vehicle that offers um, crypto yield, and then and was generated yield in a number of ways, and actually hadn't really thought about the distinction. Like, oh, there's another form of um, returns that can be generated outside of this these you know lending and DeFi activities. And I was like, well, you're right. you're in the industry. You run a fund that's a publicly listed vehicle um, that has these words in it, and yet we are still talking about. Um, differentiating between the different types of quote staking unquote so that was a surprise to me um you know i was like okay um if this person is still confused then we have a lot of education to go and there's a lot you know i, I that's you can see that as a downside but i think that is an opportunity basically so and i love talking about it and it's cool um and so you know happy to do that but yeah it's still still pretty early in that respect definitely just shows overall just as an industry how early we are yep yeah, that is, uh, um, we were saying that a couple of years ago and still still the case, I think, so. Yeah, and, and beyond staking, you know, one of the most admirable parts about Figment is you guys aren't just a staking as a service business um, and you've built some really interesting verticals um, in dev tooling and data. It'd be great to just hear a little bit more about each of these verticals. Yeah, so, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, you know, we sort of sat down and asked ourselves, okay, um, these protocols are real. There's certainly speculative interest. Um, you're starting to see some communities grow up around them. But we were sort of asked, like, why are they going to have value in the long term? Like, why is our staking business going to have any value for our institutional clients? Um, why are these tokens going to have any value? Why are these networks going to have any value? Like, besides, you know, I don't know how long the speculative, you know, a bubble, maybe we're seeing the end of it now, it can go on for, um, you know, not forever, though. And so what you're going to really need is actual usage and people doing stuff on these protocols. Um, and so we kind of asked ourselves, all right, so can we play a role 
in facilitating that, you know, because if it doesn't happen, then we're not going to have a, a staking business five years out. So, you know, the obvious next step, this isn't like any bolt of genius or anything like that, was basically like, okay, um, how can we help developers build applications and deploy smart contracts onto these proof of stake protocols? It was, you know, pretty simple. Okay. Um, you know, the answer is fairly obvious is what's, you know, it's still pretty hard or it was pretty hard um, to, you know, deploy adapt on one or two protocols uh, to get the data you need. Um, you know, it's an open ledger, but the data structures are a mess. Um, they're hard to read. Um, the development tools are very, very limited um, to non-existent when we thought about this on, on many of these proof of stake protocols. So really we basically just said, okay, um, let's see if we can actually drive some value to the core staking business, move up the stack um, and see if we can um, in some small way, uh, facilitate adoption of these blockchains. And so developers were the next audience. You know, we started off with institutional um, customers on the staking side and said, okay, we know how to, we've worked with developers in the past. We've built developer tools in the past. Let's apply that skill set over to um, these blockchains. So, you know, I think we're on, we offer a set of API, essentially API services for developers across um, 18 different proof of stake blockchains should be close to 25 by, by the end of this year. And so if you're deploying a smart contract um, or a DAP on one of the, the blockchains we support, um, you can come um, with a couple clicks, have a set of APIs that allow you to sort of focus on your application. And then also, you know, going back to the educational component, um, we don't we don't make any money off this, but we've developed a platform called Learn, um, which is essentially, a, um, a you know, six to 10,000 developers who are creating, we call them pathways. They're really tutorials um, on how to deploy your smart contract on Avalanche or the like. And so really it's a community of developers that are creating um, educational, you know, like if there's a web crypto curious web two developer and like, what the heck is a smart contract? You can come here, um, follow a pathway a tutorial, um, earn a few tokens um, for, for doing that. And then also become part of this community of developers who are helping each other build and learn how to deploy applications. So um, again, we don't make money off that. Um, it's free service, but really we sort of see that as a part of the community educational function. Um, and hopefully those people become customers for our API services down the road. So it's pretty cool to see that community grow up. Um, I think we have some ideas how to like further further grow that community and, and push it out. Again, we really sort of see this as a, as a, um, you know, I don't know if, if good services is the right framework, but the more we can do to educate traditional developers on how to build on blockchains, the better for all of us. And so that's really the, the point of that. And it's pretty good to see that community grow up. For sure. And, and you know, just, just the numbers that you mentioned are super interesting. So it sounds like you guys have about six to 10,000 developers on your ecosystem. Um, the Electro Capital team just released their annual report and, and they estimate that the overall Web3 developer account is about 350,000, um, yep. which just shows again, just how early we are. Where, where do you see that number in that community growing over the next three years? And, and what can the crypto industry do to help build that adoption? So I, you know, we, we, um, we have a Slack, we have a Slack channel where everyone who signs up for that service by protocol, um, the developer like streams forward. And so I see, um, we literally have hundreds of developers signing up at least for our free service every day. So that number has increased, um, you know, has, has significantly increased that. Our developer tools business is growing 50% month over month right now on both revenue and usage. Um, so I think it's accelerating. Um, I think it's the next step toward adoption and actual real end user cases. And developers are starting to build an experiment in greater and greater numbers. So that that report by Electric was fantastic. Actually, they've done that for a couple of years and 
they've done a fantastic job on that. Um, and certainly uh, what we see on our customer base certainly collaborates with their sim. Um, so yeah, it, it hasn't slowed down and it doesn't, and it doesn't really seem to be tied to like market prices in any way. Like this is a different audience than sort of the financial audience. These are developers who, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis don't really care about token price. So it doesn't, you know, when markets go down like today, you don't really see, okay, we get fewer signups. So the growth has been pretty consistent, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's an amazing trend line. Um, and I guess, you know, because you guys are, are so close to the customer, what are the most common frictions that you hear from them in terms of their journey to Web3? What are things that they wish that they had that just don't currently exist today? Yeah, from so from a developer perspective, you know, if you're if you're working in Web2, there's been two decades of frameworks, programming languages, developer services, integration points. And most of that doesn't exist, frankly. It's still pretty hard to, you know, manage and deploy uh, sort of a novel application on a blockchain. Um, you know, in addition, just the whole framework being different and how you think about what you're doing. Um, and the platform is still really, um, you know, it, it's really, this is really, you know, if blockchains are started early, this is super early. And, you know, again, it took two decades to build up that framework that makes it super easy to build in, in web two. Um, and, you know, I think we're really just in the first, if we're in third inning for blockchains generally and the industry generally, this is in the first inning, it's like just beginning. And then each blockchain has its own unique, um, uh, development characteristics. And so that those tool sets have to be evolved um, uh, and customized for each one. So um, I would say that like, you're still, you know, to be frank, if you're a web two developer and used to having like really good tool sets, you know, we're doing our best to make it as easy as possible. You're still going to be fairly surprised by kind of the lack um, of, of ease. And, you know, it, it's still pretty, Pretty naive, I would say, um, if that's the right word. And so um, we have a lot, you know, we're launching uh, version two of our, we call it data hub of that API stack. Um, and I think there's gonna be years of development ahead, but it's coming. Um, but yeah, you should have, a, you know, expect to be challenged a little bit as a web two developer. Maybe that's part of the, why people like it, um, you know, and we're starting to reduce some of those frictions, um, but still have a long way to go. Yeah, it's an amazing business you guys are building. Um, and so maybe one of the final questions, you know, sort of 10,000 foot view, what, what's your vision for what Figment becomes over the next five years? Right. So, um, you know, really there's a, even though the audiences for our, our, for our two service sets are, seem to be fairly different, you know, developers on one hand and then um, financial institutions and large token holders, you know, exchanges and custodians on the other, there is sort of a common theme. Um, and line that runs through those. And really, you know, I sort of alluded this, you know, I, you know, moving up, I sort of alluded to this at the start of the podcast is that really, I think that everyone, you know, regardless of where you live, regardless of your political affiliation, really has some discomfort with the current text public, I call it the public text act, even though it's mostly private. Um, and so, you know, whether, whether, your kids watching weird videos on YouTube from the algorithm, or you get angry after reading Twitter for five minutes, or um, you're being charged large fees, or it's really slow to use one of the large financial intermediaries, or Google's using all your data, making a huge amount of money, and you have no freaking idea what they're doing with it. You're not benefiting really, um, or you're not sure you're benefiting more than more than they are, and it's your data. So, you know, really, I think everyone has some discomfort with the evolution of the internet from kind of the original vision, you know, in the early 90s. And so we as a company really see that like this technology, 
you know, we're not anarchists. Um, or there may be a few anarchists at our company, but the company is always not, is not, a, we're not anarchists, right? Um, but we really sort of see this technology as hopefully being a counterbalance to those large financial intermediaries, to the data monopolies, um, to, you know, you know, even those antisocial algorithms where really, you know, maybe we can realize that original vision of the internet through this technology 25 years later. And so what runs through that theme is like, okay, how does that turn into your business? But really starts off with, okay, we, we chose our areas of proof of stake and our expertise um, and started off with the original token holders securing those protocols and have basically moved up to those developers. And so internally, what we talk about is like, is, is what you're doing increasing the adoption, the usage? of one of these proof of stock stake blockchains if yes keep doing it if no don't and so really you know the even though the the audience and in some way those businesses look pretty different the common thread is that we really want to increase adoption of these blockchains we want to see what can happen i'm not going to say that i know what's going to happen or that um <laughs> um you know how it's going to happen but really the only way we're going to find out is if people start using experimenting playing on these blockchains and so really everything we do is orientated around increasing adoption of, of these blockchains um so if web3 grows there's more smart contracts deployed if there's more dApps we're going to go oh, we're going to grow along with that with that trend yeah i'm sure there are a number of members of our audience i'd love to follow up with you um for those listening what, what's the best way for them to learn more about figment and get involved yeah so um Obviously, our, our website. Um, I'm also on Twitter and fairly responsive at um, Lord and Tree um, at, at Twitter. But um, either either there or through our through our website, um, you can find us. And uh, you know, we have multiple channels. Our developer community has a very very active Discord community. So if you're a developer and you want to check that out, um, you can go there. Um, but yeah, um, happy to answer questions. Um, the education continues, so don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Okay, well, I think that covers it for our show today. Um, on behalf of Binance, I uh, wanted to thank you very much for joining us today, Florian. Um, and to our audience, thank you very much for listening to Stories from the Lab. And please shoot us a line anytime at labs at or on Twitter at Binance Labs.